the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with Davy. It's amazing what you discover when you really listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week, my guest is Michael Smurfett, one of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs and businessmen. He joined me by phone from his home in Monaco, where he's currently in lockdown due to COVID-19 restrictions. In our interview, Michael Smurfett looks back at the highs and lows involved in building the Smurfett Packaging Group into a world leader over a career spanning many decades. Now 83, he has retired from day-to-day business life, but still has a broad portfolio of investments around the world. We talked about how governments have responded to the pandemic and how the economic recovery should be framed. He also spoke about selling the K Club Resort in Kildare earlier this year, his advice for young entrepreneurs starting a business at this difficult time, and his legacy as a businessman and leader. But I began by asking him about life in lockdown in Monaco. How about Monaco? Right, well, uh, Monaco is faring extraordinarily well, uh, all things considered, particularly early on when the two most important people in the Principality got it, His Serene Highness Prince Albert, my dear friend, and also the Minister of State, who's a most like the Prime Minister, the most important person after the Prince. Both of them got it. Altogether, there'd be 90 people have come down with the virus. Only 20 of those ever went to hospital and four have died. And they never had any more than 20 people in the hospital and they, had, and they had never had more than four people on respirators. So the whole thing was absolutely way over the top. And I think the same applies in Ireland, where there are many more hospital beds because the hospital stopped taking anybody else in. Uh, so if you had a heart condition or you had a, a, a treatment for cancer or anything like that, they all got put onto hold. Uh, and I think a lot of countries did the same. Everything was geared to the, the virus and the epidemic that was going to swamp us uh, in many cases didn't. It only swamped a couple of places like Paris, northern Italy and Madrid. The rest of the, the world seems to have managed to do not too badly. I think it's, it swamped uh, in New York as well. Yeah, Michael, can I just ask you, what about your own routine in lockdown? You're 83 now. I think you've been cocooning for the period. So how have you been managing yourself? With great difficulty because I'm walking around the apartment here rather than being allowed outside to stay fit and obviously being very careful with what food I eat because you can get the temptation to drink a lot and eat a lot is 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 there all the time. I could never pass a sweet shop when I was younger. Now I have to pass sweet shops, sweets all the time because people bring me presents or send me presents uh, and I can't eat them because uh, I've got to be very careful about my diet. And I do check my blood regularly and I have had a check for the virus and uh, I'm, I'm obviously negative, thank God. And presumably you you have stayed inside uh, over this period. Have you, have you, I mean, have you seen your family? When was the last time you saw your family? I, I saw my youngest son who just had a baby a month ago, uh, my 14th grandchild, uh, this week for dinner. Uh, the first time I've seen him for two months, and he's the only one I've seen because they can't travel and uh, social distancing is, is, even for family members, is there. So I haven't even seen my 14th grandchild yet uh, for obvious reasons. But hopefully when the lockdown takes, takes uh, a further uh, step forward on the 3rd of June, uh, we'd be more free to go around and go to restaurants and so on and so forth. All right. Well, congratulations on becoming a grandfather again. Can I just ask you about how governments around the world have responded to this? In your opinion, did they do the right thing by closing down economies in, in the manner that they did? Um, and how do we restart them again? Well, uh, 
my own personal view is that the lockdown uh, will, in upon examination by historians, will look a, a very serious um, mistake, very serious mistake. There should have been a partial lockdown for elderly people and people with, uh, with uh, underlying uh, symptoms of disease and so on and so forth. But to lock down entire populations and everybody, period, never happened before, uh, destroys the economy, destroys jobs, which is going to last for years and years to come. Uh, we haven't seen the end of this by any manner of means, and I don't mean the lockdown, but, but the results of the lockdown and the results of the uh, grounding of airplanes and cruise ships and everything else. It's uh, going to be a very tough time ahead, I'm afraid. And how do you think the Irish government in particular has handled the crisis? Well, I'm not close enough to comment on that, uh, to be honest. I, I think somebody uh, living in the country would, would have a greater sense of it. But I do have a lot of family living there, and I, I'm in touch with them on a nearly daily basis. If one of the benefits of the, of the uh, lockdown is I've managed to get my grandchildren on the phone all the time, but there's nothing else to do except speak to the old man. <laughs> and, uh, and, and your kids have time for you as well, uh, particularly my son, Tony, who's so busy that... You know, if phone call with him is about five seconds, bam, 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 and off we go. He's very quick, um, but great um, to hear him all the time now. And and Michael Jr. and Sharon and Tracy and Alexander and Christopher. So I've I've seen I've seen my the boys that are down here, but that's about it. Yeah. Now we are where we are, as the man says. Um, so I'm just wondering, where, what what would your advice be to governments in terms of how to get the economy restarted again? How to help businesses get back on their feet after being closed down for the guts of two months? Yes, well, uh, I mean, it's, am- it's amazing how, how, how we call it the, the money supply chain. So many people depend on a, the weekly pay packet or the monthly pay packet that you take that away from them for a few months. It's, uh, it's an enormous effect on the economy. Uh, and we've seen that uh, horrendous effect. The quicker we get down to opening up the economy, the better, in my view. And... Uh, that means lifting the restrictions that are uh, somewhat ridiculous, to be honest. I mean, a five-kilometer uh, radius for golf clubs, that's a bit stupid when most people live within 15 kilometers of Port Marnock, for example. They can't play there if they're outside. That's a, a, a stupid nonsense. What's the difference between five and 15 kilometers? I don't know. So I think a lot of mistakes were made, a lot of harsh decisions uh, taken uh, too quickly and, and, and not thought through. Uh, but this sort of pandemic, I call it panic-demic, because uh, a lot of uh, people panicked, particularly in the UK, they panicked when the, Neil Ferguson came out with his ridiculous assertions, which have now proved to be totally false. Uh, and they went by what he said, and they built all these Nightingale hospitals. Never had a patient, as far as I can tell. Never had a patient. Yeah, it's a virus that has been predominantly killing the over 70s, Michael, and you're 83 now. So I just wonder, I mean, does it make you reflect on your own mortality? Did it really worry you um, when you heard this? I've never been worried about death in my life because I, when I was in my uh, late teens, early 20s, and I was diagnosed with a severe form of um, tuberculosis, and they more or less hinted at me that I might not have a year to live. They thought that would be a, a generous uh, amount of time if I did. And when I was in Piedmont Sanatorium, I held people's hands when they died because in those days, the diagnostic uh, level of diabetes and cancer was very ill-defined. 
so many people that had cancer came into Piedmont Hospital uh, for, for treated, be treated for diabetes, for, to be treated for tuberculosis, and they, of course, passed away. I held men's hands while they died because I was a sacristan in the, in the hospital uh, at the time, and lucky enough, got out after nine months and never looked back because they, they developed new, new antibiotics that cured me. So every year has been a bonus ever since to me. Right, okay. I know you're not involved in Smurfit Kappa, in the running of Smurfit Kappa, but I'm sure you're talking to your son, Tony, who uh, runs the business, um, and you're watching it from afar as well. So I'm just wondering how uh, Smurfit Kappa is doing in the crisis. Have you any sense uh, for that? I just imagine that, for example, with this explosion in online shopping, it must be good for a company that makes boxes. Yes, I think uh, they're going to be affected, obviously, as every company is going to be affected. But it it would be up there uh, in the supply chain because of this situation and because it's, they're a food-oriented business and uh, f- food and beverage is a very large part of the business. I think 70-80% of the business. So it would, be, uh, it would be a business that would survive and not be that affected by the, the, the dynamics of the uh, pandemic. But I suspect that demand will be, once the, the, the initial restocking takes place, that demand will come back to more normal levels. And obviously the ancillary other business, the 30% that isn't uh, food and beverage, uh, that would probably be very severely hit. So what the demand will be for packaging going forward, I don't know, but it's going to be less rather than more for the next few years. So they're going to have a few tough years ahead of them, uh, I suspect. Uh, I don't know uh, any numbers. I don't uh, uh, allow myself to become an insider uh, with the company but I know the industry pretty well and a lot of capacity coming on stream but there's no market for it so that's going to affect prices I think. Yeah now I just wonder do you miss the cut and thrust of the day-to-day business would you you know would would you like to be in a situation now where you're chief executive of a, a company like Smurf Kappa perhaps there are some opportunities there uh, if uh, rivals are a bit weaker I mean that that's something that you uh, you made hay on yourself in your career in the past isn't it? Yes, uh, I coined the word, the worse it gets, the better it gets. Because nobody sells you a successful business uh, when they're doing well. They only sell it to you when they're doing badly and when they're in trouble. Uh, and that's when I picked up the pieces. I just waited for the times. Uh, and I, I actually uh, saw this uh, downturn coming. Not, not, I didn't, I, I we'll talk about that later. Uh, I saw the downturn uh, coming because with five, six years of uninterrupted growth in terms of um, performance of Smurfit Kappa. They had ability led by my son, five years of, of uh, fantastic growth, uh, phenomenal results, uh, and the share prices responded accordingly. Uh, even today, I think the shares are around the 29 mark, which is uh, remarkable considering uh, most of the shares are well down in uh, 40, 50%, 70% down. I mean, uh, very resilient company, very resilient. So you didn't forecast the pandemic, but you did see uh, the potential for a downturn in the industry. Yes, it was one of the reasons that led me to sell some assets. I was the K Club was one because I, I looked at looked at my portfolio very carefully and saw that I was heavy in physical assets like the K Club, like my home in Spain, and various other things. And I, I didn't see any upward potential from here on the market. We're selling at 20 plus times earnings and uh, ratios had gone through the roof. And you had the first trillion dollar 
uh, company, whether, whether any business is worth a trillion uh, dollars, I don't know, particularly in the tech service area. Because tech services, one day you're a hero like Nokia and Ericsson, the next day you're out of the game. Uh, it's who's bringing the next mousetrap, better mousetrap coming along. Uh, very, very good when it's, go, when it's going well and very bad when it goes badly. A smart capital would be a company that would be very sound and solid uh, uh, in any respect and, and be able to pay its dividend and, and, and look after its shareholders, um, which is a very comforting thought. Yeah, let's talk about the K-Club, actually, because you managed to complete that sale earlier this year. I think it was around February time this year, just before the pandemic struck, if you like, certainly in the Western world. So your timing uh, on that front was good. But can I just ask you about the K-Club? Because more years than not, it seemed to it seemed to make a loss. And, you know, perhaps uh, you hosted a Ryder Cup in 2006, which is a great, a great achievement for the club and great for Ireland. But uh, perhaps with the crash coming just a couple of years later, and um, the club was never able to fully capitalise on that. Um, why was it that the K Club just never seemed to click financially? It was never meant to click financially. It wasn't designed for that. It was designed as a tax scheme for Smurfit uh, Group to bring money back to, to Ireland uh, uh, from abroad. At that time, we were paying taxes in three places. We were paying taxes in America, taxes in Holland, and taxes in, in Ireland. When the double taxation agreements were written at that time, uh, way back in the 30s, nobody ever foresaw an Irish company being operating in America, so the ta- double taxation agreements were all one way. And I got, was paying uh, 70% of the income in taxes uh, that we made earned in America, and America was the biggest source of income. And that didn't make sense. So the government introduced a thing called participation privilege, which allowed me to invest money in Ireland if it created 200 jobs. I couldn't create it in my own business because we already dominated the, the industry in our, in our country. So I had to create a new industry, and I created the K-Club and decided to make it into a five-star resort with no expenses spared and uh, built the premier... A golf course and, and country club in the country by far uh, for many years and that ethos remained and that culture remained and it was not about making a, a bundle of money it was about uh, servicing customers and servicing members and what have you and the Smurfit company got the tax breaks and made a lot of money on the property sales before the Ryder Cup I think about 100 million uh, and then they got 100 million from me to buy it so the, the, the Smurfit group did very very well out of the gate club thank you very much yeah, sure. But what about you personally? Because you yourself and Jerry Gannon took it on subsequently. Um, and then I know you bought Jerry out. Um, uh, the crash obviously came and NAMA got involved and, and so forth. And, and you took uh, Jerry out. Um, I mean, for you, I suppose it was a, it, it was a bit of a labor of love. Yeah, I mean, I did, uh, put it this way, I didn't make any money out of it. And I didn't take any money out of it. I mean, I had, when we sold it, we had some some... Uh, well over a million and a half, I think, or two million in the bank. Uh, uh, I, I never took any money out of it and built my home there. I, I had a very nice, comfortable home for, for years. But I don't get to go there anymore. I mean, uh, I was there, I think, the last full year, five days, and the year before that, seven or eight. Uh, so uh, without having a family member uh, wanting to take over and run it, uh, there was no point to keep the asset. Sure. Any sense of what Michael Feddersen is planning to do with the resort? I don't know. At the moment, he's just hoping to survive, I suppose. But he himself got lucky uh, because he sold his nursing homes. And I suspect the values of those have dropped considerably, considering the amount of debts that have been caused by uh, 
people living in these sort of environments. It's been a, uh, I read somewhere there's about a third of the people uh, in the debt, debts are coming from uh, nursing homes, uh, both in America and in the uh, UK. Now, as I mentioned, you, you got the Ryder Cup in 2006. I'm sure that was a, a big moment for you. Um, Ireland has since been awarded the rights for uh, 2026 at Adair Manor. I don't know if you've had a, a chance to go to Adair Manor to visit it, to have a look at how the golf course is um, set up or how well acquainted you are with J.P. McManus. But uh, it's good that it's coming back to Ireland, isn't it? Yes, uh, I have been down to Adair Manor. Uh, J.P. and Noreen invited me down for dinner one night and we spent a lovely day with them. I looked at the facilities, which are phenomenal, and what they spent and done in the, the, the hotel, how to turn it around from a dank, uh, dismal type of place into a very luxurious uh, resort, um, right up there with the very best in the world. I think it was voted the best new resort in the world, uh, as we were years ago, but they were uh, two years ago, I think they got it. And he designed it specifically to get the Ryder Cup and knowing JP and his determination, uh, which is similar to my own, he just went out and got it. And uh, 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 looking forward to, to being there as his guest. Uh, he's invited me very kindly uh, to join him uh, when the event takes place, if I'm still on this uh, planet and able to walk. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. Michael, just looking back over your career, what was your biggest achievement? What are you most proud of? I... The thing I'm most proud of of all is, of course, having having a fantastic family, uh, six wonderful kids, all healthy and, and, and solid, and having 14 grandchildren. So without doubt, as far as I'm concerned, uh, everything pales in comparison to uh, once having a successful family and then to see that family, that one member of it, take over and run the company successfully, as my son, eldest son, Tony, has done, is... Uh, great source of pride to me and a great source of uh, uh, of comfort to know that the uh, things I created have are were in good hands and the Smurf was running and running it at the time of my uh, getting into the uh, uh, next period of my life. But when you look back, is there any deal or any moment, was there any major inflection point that you look back on and you take great, great satisfaction from? Yes, I mean, I, I would say the two greatest... Uh, business moments of my life were in America. Uh, one, the most successful takeover of, of Container Corporation of America, which was really made, made the company go from the second division into the middle of the first division, and then we built that up into the top of the first division. Um, and then the biggest disappointment I had in America would have been, uh, one thing I would look back and reflect, that I wish I hadn't done the stone container deal because that led to a whole series of events uh, culminating in his going private because uh, we took over that company and we found the assets were extremely tired uh, and required a lot of attention and nursing and that made us go ex-growth and we were a very fast-growing company up to then for a few years and the market started to mark our shares down to a low level which we felt were very vulnerable and we decided uh, then to go uh, private uh, by uh, doing the LBO with Madison Dearborn I don't think we would have done that or needed to do that uh, had we uh, not done the Stone deal. So I've often reflected on that mistake, but reflected on the success of Container Corp, which is still the foundation of Smurfit in Latin America and uh, uh, some parts of Europe. At Davy, we know uncharted territory can be a challenge. We've been in business since 1926, and since then, 
we've advised many different clients through many global and national crises. Some will seek comfort in the safe and familiar, while others will embrace the opportunity to try something new. Throughout the years, we've not only listened to our clients, we've got to know you personally, helping us advise you on a financial life plan that suits you best. Davy, it's not just business, it's personal. Janie Davy, trading as Davy, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We take our responsibilities personally. And Michael, you made your name in business in paper and packaging with Jefferson Smurfit and Smurfit Kappa. But I just wondered if you were starting off your career now, would you, would you still focus on boxes and packaging? Or would you be drawn to, let's say, tech or social media or some of the new industries that have uh, popped up because of technology over the past 10 or 15 years? I wouldn't know what to say to that because I left school at 16 and uh, to be in the tech industry, you want to be uh, uh, pretty clever. And I wasn't that clever in the school. So, uh, But I, my kids, um, particularly my two younger boys, uh, they're internet oriented and I have trouble switching on my computer, don't mind uh, using it. My eldest son with my second family, Alexander, he's uh, very tech oriented and started this thing, Mr. Room Service, down here in Monaco, which has been a roaring success. Uh, but it's all on the internet, and uh, my secretary here orders food for me from him from time to time. So, yes, I would encourage people to, to, to be more tech-oriented than, than packaging-oriented. But I was never... I never, had a cha- I never had a choice of what I was going to do in life. Since I was about 10 years of age, my father drilled into me that uh, you buy brains and you make businessmen. And you're going to be in, in the industry at, six, at 16 years of age. You're going to leave school and you're going to come into the business. And you're going to take it over and you're going to run it. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, that was my, that was my uh, calling, my duty. And, and that's, I, I ended up doing what I'm doing. And I wouldn't know what else to do, to be honest. Yeah, had you any other ambitions as a young man? I mean, you said your father sort of outlined um, how your life and career was going to go, but did you personally have any other ambitions at that time? Yes, I wanted to be a racing driver uh, and did racing for uh, quite a bit of time uh, in Longkesh, uh, which is now was, that became a prison. Uh, I used to go up to Northern Ireland. I did motorbike racing with an Adler 250, uh, motocross, uh, I did trials. Uh, so I was very keen uh, in, in that part of life. I was also a keen cricketer uh, early on in my career, and of course golf. So I wanted to be—I wanted to excel in something uh, that I was doing in my other life outside of Smurfits. But I never had the chance because it was all consuming. That the, the amount of hours I worked per day uh, were phenomenal, and uh, there was no such thing as a weekend. The weekend was uh, the paper mills were running. Uh, machines were running. We were operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, 365 days a year. With no holidays, uh, early on in my career, that is. Michael, in business terms, what keeps you busy today? What what investments do you keep your eye on? I have invested in young people and in, in family people, family members uh, in different businesses. I maybe have 15 or 20 investments uh, uh, at any one time. Uh, I'm cashing in two or three at the moment. I uh, just got a notification uh, just before I came on board that one of the deals was to close today. Is it now not going to close till Wednesday? Which in itself would be a minor miracle because getting something done in this environment is extremely difficult. The law firms are not working the way they normally work. The uh, notaries uh, who do no- notarized uh, deals aren't working and 
but getting things done is, is difficult. But I'm working on a couple of deals. I'm selling my hotel in Courchevel. That's on the market and it's been bought. Whether that deal closes another issue. Planning my 85th birthday on a sea dream, which I had my 80th birthday and my 70th, my 60th and my 50th, taking the whole ship over. Planning that uh, next year. Hopefully that will go ahead, but it's too early to say whether that's going to be possible or not. I, I, I keep myself busy, thank God. Uh, the days, I don't know where the days go, but they go quickly enough. Uh, Michael, you've had a love of art, and I know you've invested in art in the past, and uh, yachts, and you, you know some of the finer things in life, shall we say. Um, is that still a passion for you? Yes. Uh, when I sold my house, uh, I've had to sell most of my art. Uh, so it's now with Sotheby's in London when it'll be up for sale this year and next year. Whether it's a good time to sell, I don't know. But having sold my house, I'd know where... Uh, big enough to 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 put the art on the walls. You know, you need you need a big house to to have a collection of uh, a few hundred paintings, which is what I had. So the, some some have gone to my family. Michael, can I just ask you about entrepreneurship um, and maybe the current generation of uh, Irish entrepreneurs? At the launch of your autobiography in 2014, you said that in your generation there were probably no more than about five outstanding entrepreneurs and uh, sorry, ten outstanding entrepreneurs in Ireland, of which about five could stand on the world stage. Um, what's your view of the current generation of Irish entrepreneurs? Fantastic. I mean, th- there's legions of them. Uh, some are well-known and very vocal. Some are very quiet and reserved. Very impressed uh, with, the, with the, uh, the next generation that followed me. You've, you've, you've all sorts of companies that have sprung up that are international in, in scope and in mind and what have you from... from Ireland, and you've Irish uh, people running major airlines around the world. You've got Willie Walsh in 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 England. You've got a guy in Australia. I mean, it's amazing the the, the Irish as a people, uh, what they've achieved uh, in a remarkable time. We had the Celtic Tiger, of course. Uh, that was a wake up call, and it's another wake up call. But this is one that was not of our making. The Celtic Tiger was was a, our own making, and uh, we paid a heavy price for that. And which other business leaders or entrepreneurs uh, have you really admired, uh, you know, past or present? Uh, I admire Dennis O'Brien. Uh, I admire uh, Dermot Desmond. I admire JP and John Magner, who controls the bloodstock industry very well. Uh, I think the world of uh, O'Reilly, I think he's a, was an outstanding man in my generation. The late Tony Ryan was somebody I was very fond of and had many, many uh, a good time with over the years. We shared a lot of things together, including a, a jet. We shared a jet 50-50 for many years. He had his own aerodrome in uh, near the K Club, which I sold him. I sold him that house, uh, Lions Estate. Very, fo- very fond of Tony Ryan. But uh, O'Reilly would be the outstanding brain, if you will, of my generation. Uh, and this founding of the Ireland Fund was a very insightful and, and uh, thoughtful thing and one that's been an enormous success and uh, he deserved nothing but uh, uh, plaudits for the hundreds of millions he's brought into the country well, at, a t- at a time when, by the way, we didn't have anything like we have today. Yeah, for sure. I know your mother was born in Belfast, uh, Michael, and I- I'm just wondering um, what you made. I mean, you talk about the Ireland Funds and I think it's played a key role in the peace process and uh, in in uh, developing projects uh, across border, but I just wonder your thoughts on the future of Northern Ireland, particularly in the Brexit environment. Yes, well, it's a it's a very complex issue, um, and I don't think the British government have have 
manage to determine what exactly they're going to do with the border. Uh, it's a conundrum, and, and, and I don't know what they can do about it either, because uh, you can't have one foot in the camp and one foot out of the camp. You've got to have both feet one way or the other. Uh, will it bring about a united Ireland? No, not at this time. It will not. Will it affect the public's trade with the north and south? It can only be affected one way or the other to some extent. The degree of that extent is what the argument is going to be with Brussels about. Um, but it's going to be some disruption of that. There's no, no doubt whatsoever. Michael, how would you describe your leadership style? I don't know, uh, frankly, because I sort of grew into it uh, over years. Uh, authority came with it. And I, I could never think of working for anybody else except my father or myself. And when the time came when my father passed away and they wanted to bring in an outside chairman to the company, I re refused. I was prepared to leave the company if that happened because I couldn't see myself reporting to somebody who didn't know the ins and outs of the industry the way I had. I started at the ground floor at 16. I'd worked my way up through the machines. I knew the business like back in my hand and I just didn't see it working. And I wasn't prepared to work in that environment. I was only prepared to work for myself or my father. And that was uh, been a, an abiding principle all my life. And when I retired and uh, concluded the last major deal uh, with my son on the operations end uh, and Gary McGann on the administration end, when we bought Kappa, that made and solidified the company that we know today. Uh, that was my final uh, moment of leadership in my entire career because I then left the company a couple of years later before they went public because of my age. It was too old to be taking a company public and, and I wasn't prepared to work for anybody else in, in any environment in that situation. So I retired. And Michael, some people might wonder why you retired to Monaco um, and not to maybe Ireland or, or some other part of the world. Monaco, you know, it's, it's a nice place, but obviously small and um, uh, and different, <laughs> if if you will. So why why Monaco over somewhere else? Well, when I uh, left my first wife uh, and decided to marry Brigitte, Norma Smurfett, my first wife, who I'm very good friends with still, uh, both wives actually, ex-wives, asked me one thing. She said, I don't want you to bring your new wife to Ireland and live here. And I promised her I wouldn't. That's what prompted me to leave Ireland and look for a place to go to. And I went to the Isle of Man. I went to Jersey. I went to Malta. I went to Bermuda. I went to the States. Uh, well, I knew the States, but I looked around. And Little Monaco has been a place I could communicate from. Because remember, I was still running Smurfits at the time. So I had to have an office in Monaco, which I developed. Uh, uh, and, and had a wonderful office, which we sold for... 100 million, which I bought for 9 million. So Monaco became my home, and I got to know the prince very well and, and been a close friend of his for over 20, 30 years now. And in fact, I just spoke to him yesterday uh, to see how he got on with the virus, because this virus can last a bit. It can, it can stick with you uh, and the side effects. So we'll see what happens there. So that, that, was, uh, that was how I came to Monaco. Uh, I came to Monaco not for tax reasons because I still pay taxes in America and in Ireland and uh, still, still do today. I paid a lot of tax when I sold the K-Club uh, because 
even though it was loss making, it was taxes to pay, and some millions went to the state. I have no no objection to paying tax. Uh, that wasn't my reason uh, to come here. Didn't it? Didn't it? Didn't it? Wasn't in the equation at all, actually. Sure. Michael, obviously you had great success in your business career over many decades with Jefferson Smurfit and then uh, Smurfit Kappa. Um, I just wonder whether you feel perhaps in Ireland you don't get the credit maybe you deserve for that success and for having led the company to, you know, onto the world stage and to become a world leader in its industry. Well, I, I, I get letters from people all the time looking for help and looking for assistance or looking for jobs or looking for things sometimes congratulating me because they put their child through college because uh, they'd invested in Spurford shares and made a lot of money and so on and so forth. I've never had one bad letter that I can remember. Uh, so I don't know how people judge me. But I suppose uh, if you look at the different aspects of my life, people who are in sport would look at me, the sponsorships I did with uh, the Smurford St. Ledger, the uh, champion hurdle uh, in Cheltenham, uh, the Smurfit golf tournaments, uh, the Notre Dame coming to Ireland, bringing uh, the Paralympic Games with Dennis O'Brien to Ireland, supporting that very heavily, and then bringing the Ryder Cup into Ireland, the biggest sporting event ever. And then on the other side, you have the people who would look at my non-Irish, uh, my non-business career, like helping telecom, uh, which was one of the best jobs I ever did in my life, is to bring uh, Ireland into the modern era, fixing a telephone company. It took 12 years. Uh, uh, five years on the racing board. I consider that my national service. I took no pay and no expenses from either organization during my 10 years with them. And then you could look at my business career, the business school, the academics, uh, the Smurfit School of Genetics are uh, helped to Beaumont Hospital and uh, the business school, uh, which is uh, in Carrisford Avenue and UCD. So it depends on who, who, who's looking at you as to what you, 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 you've done in life. These are achievements that I've done I didn't do them to, get, to put my name in lights. I did them because of the right thing to do, to give back to the society that made me. And I'm very proud of those achievements and I'm very proud of the country of Ireland has recognised it in many forms, making me honorary doctorates and so on and so forth. So other, other people will judge me when I'm gone, how, how it is, which, 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 which will be, will it be the whole nine yards or will it be one yard? I don't, I don't mind. I'll be gone, I won't care. <laughs> sure. Um, just uh, talking about Ireland, actually, we're in a period of political flux. The last election um, left us with a somewhat deadlocked situation in the Dáil. Um, Sinn Féin were the big winners, I guess, and Fianna Gael the big losers. We have a situation now where Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil are in talks to form a government, uh, potentially with the Green Party. I, I don't know if you ever thought you'd see that happen in your lifetime, given, um, you know, given how they've been rivals over so many decades. But I just wonder uh, how you view, I know you're not terribly close to the political situation here, um, living in Monaco, but I just wonder how you view the prospect possibly of uh, Sinn Féin in government, um, let's say, in the next five to ten years. Well, uh, that'll be up to the population to decide um, uh, which type of government they want, uh, whether it's going to be a right-wing government, a left-wing government, or a socialist government, or what. Um, uh, England... Uh, went nearly went socialistic and had this election which kicked out Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I've tried to stay clear of politics all my life because it's a nasty game to be involved in and I've never read anywhere that a successful businessman made a successful politician. In fact, quite the opposite because a, a successful businessman 
by definition has to be very firm and very structured and very um, uh, dogmatic. You know, my way or the highway. You can't be that in the politics. It's all about giving and taking and, and back scratching and doing various things in life. Not my, not my cup of tea. I never, never had any ambition to be a politician. I never, uh, never, never had any ambition to, to uh, be involved in, in government per se. What about Donald Trump? Has he not booked the trend? Well, he certainly is some, something else. You know, I lived in Trump Tower. I was, I was a second customer for an, an apartment in Trump Tower, 61AB, for 25 years. I lived under him. He was on the 65th floor. Uh, I know Donald very well. And um, before he came uh, president, I wrote to him and asked him, for my 80th birthday, would you invite me to the White House? Uh, it's on my bucket list. He wrote back and said he would. He never did. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go now because same since he doesn't have the core virus there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, well, he might get a second term, so you you never know. Maybe in a few years' time. Uh, just a couple of more things to close, uh, Michael. I wonder what your advice might be to young entrepreneurs who are maybe starting out on the road or thinking of starting out on the road to business. Uh, it's a difficult time, obviously, uh, for a lot of entrepreneurs right now, whether they're in business or just about to launch. What advice would you have for them? Well, first of all. You're going to know failure along the way, and don't be afraid of it, uh, and don't let it deter you uh, from doing what you're doing. Be prepared for failure. Uh, know that success doesn't always come your way, uh, and shrug it off and move on. Uh, don't dwell on your losses. Uh, play to your strengths, whatever those strengths are, and, uh, and don't be afraid to hire competent people around you. And non-sycophantic people, people who will tell you the way it is rather than the way you want to hear it. So it's very important to have uh, independent advice and be prepared to take it. Like I had Howard Kilroy in, in Ireland and I had Jim Malloy in America, two outstanding executive individuals who were not afraid to stand up to me and tell me exactly what they thought of me uh, from time to time and whether I was making a mistake. And probably made a lot of mistakes if I hadn't had them, but uh, they stopped me from doing it. So you've got to be prepared to take advice and be prepared to uh, keep an open mind and not be, not be afraid of failure. And finally, Michael, how would you like to be remembered? What would you like your legacy to be? I'd like the legacy to be a person that uh, built a business with outstanding integrity and honesty and truthfulness and uh, tried to do, give something back to the societies we were involved in. The Smurfer Foundation does good work. There's foundations in different countries we in, were involved in in Mexico and in Colombia and so on and so forth. Uh, so be prepared to give something back uh, and a company that has a human side to it, uh, a family that has a human side to it, but above all, that respect for the name. The name is very important. As my father said, it's like a thousand footsteps climbing a mountain. It doesn't matter if they're all good ones, it only requires one bad one and you're gone forever. One drop of bad ink in a big barrel of the back ink in a big barrel of water ruins the whole barrel. Same thing applies in, in life. Uh, one slip in your reputation and you lose it for all time. So you've got to make sure that you don't make that mistake. That's vital. Michael Smurfett, thank you for joining us and stay safe. Thank you very much. God bless you. 
Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Michael Smurfett for joining me from his lockdown in Monaco. My thanks also to our sponsor, Davy Group, for its continued support. Declan Conlon produced and edited the show. And remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care and stay safe.